Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome back. One thirty-seven is the time here on this Friday Eve, episode number 311 of Live Mike, the penultimate episode. We wrap things up and say goodbye tomorrow. Uh, so in the meantime, let's have all the fun we can. Uh, let's have all the good conversations we can cram into these final few hours. We'll cover all the important news. Uh, we'll look backwards. We'll reminisce. We'll look forwards. Uh, it'll be a good time. And we'll continue that good time uh, right now. Uh, I mentioned looking backwards. I can remember when I was I was probably maybe 14, 15 years old. And together with the rest of the Boy Scouts in my troop, we got together for our hunter safety course. Uh, our dads uh, were all anxious to to bring us out deer hunting and uh, I think squirrel hunting as well. Uh, it was something that was on the docket then. And I sat alongside my fellow scouts and uh, a grizzled old man there in front of us uh, shared with us all the rules of the hunt, how to stay safe, how to keep myself and others safe and to make sure that when, uh, you know, I had uh, my target there in the in the crosshairs, if you will, or there in the sights that I was sure of what I was aiming at and that as I hiked around the woods, I would keep my uh, finger off the trigger, keep that uh, rifle pointed or shotgun pointed in a safe direction. I remember all those things, and I remember the the great memories that came afterward as I would uh, venture off into the woods with my dad and uh, later friends of mine, and it all started with that hunter safety course. Uh, a few nights ago, as I was packing to prepare for my uh, eastward adventure, I pulled out a uh, an old hunting vest of mine and uh, checking the pockets, uh, making sure that there wasn't anything that shouldn't be in the pockets for transit. And uh, what I found was uh, old ammunition or something. What I found was uh, it was the card signed by uh, that man who all those years ago taught to me uh, my hunter safety course and then was the first domino uh, that would fall in uh, now lifetimes worth of, of memories that all started in that place. Uh, joining me on the line to talk about hunter education here in the state of Utah is the hunter education program coordinator with the Department of Wildlife Resources, uh, Raylin Takeda. Raylin, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. I came across uh, some information just the other day about two gentlemen who have been operating uh, for nearly 60 years uh, within the Utah uh, Hunter Education Program and and that your organization is looking for, for help. Tell me first about these two men. Yeah, both of those gentlemen actually became instructors in May of 1961. 
so they that's that's a long time to be a volunteer uh, that's a that's amazing why'd they stick with it so all that long what they have said is they have enjoyed sharing their love of hunting and conservation with others. In in that setting, I, I described my experience, but in that setting where uh, these two and the other volunteers are teaching uh, to you know those who uh, are seeking their hunter education, what, what types of things are taught? Um, we go over um, firearm safety. That's like the biggest portion of the course. Um, so there's the firearm safety. We do a lot of hands-on with the firearm safety before they even get to the live fire part of the course. Um, there's some ethics they're taught, um, survival, a little bit of wildlife management, um, wildlife ID, a um, little bit of survival skills that are all mixed in there. My understanding is you currently have about 342 instructors teaching uh, these courses throughout the state. Is that enough to is that enough to satisfy your needs? We are always looking for more instructors, um, especially like in the rural areas, um, even here in Salt Lake. We can always use more instructors. It seems like you know some will come on. They may teach one or two classes, and their schedule gets busy. They um, say they get a job transfer and they have to move. And so then we're looking to fill the position that they kind of vacated and moved on. What type of uh, person becomes a, a volunteer instructor in hunter education here in the state of Utah? All kinds. Um, we have those that are, you know, older gentlemen, retired, um, have that extra time on their hands. We have, you know, a husband and wife teams. We have um, father-daughter teams, um, mother-daughter teams. We have all kinds of people from all walks of life that come. They just have that passion about wildlife and firearms, and they just want to pass that love along. Uh, last question. Again, we're speaking uh, with Ray Lynn Takeda of the Hunter Education Program with the Department of Wildlife Resources. Uh, how can folks uh, apply? How could someone who's listening right now who says, you know what, I've got a, a little bit of experience, I understand firearm safety, I'd love to share that knowledge with others. How can they get involved? Um, they can go to our website, which is wildlife.utah.gov. You go to the Hunter Education page, um, kind of scroll down. There's a link that's, um, you know, to click on if you want to become an instructor, um, there's paperwork that needs to be filled out. There's like a basic application, which is pretty much just like your name, um, that kind of stuff. It'll ask history questions on, you know, if you have any firearms experience, hunting experience, that kind of stuff. There will be a form for a background check. Um, then they'll need to pass that to be able to be an instructor. And then our volunteer agreement form. And once we have those, um, and they've passed that background check, we then send them a link to start all the online training. We have a portion of the instructor training that's done online, and then there is an in-person training also that they'll have to complete. Outstanding. Uh, well, listen, our, our time has expired. I'd love to chat about this program with you all afternoon. It's important to me, as I know it's important to you. Uh, but our time has expired. Uh, and so I'll thank you, and I'll invite anyone thank listening. You. If you are interested in this, if you uh, have uh, the experience and the knowledge and the desire to to become uh, a hunter safety instructor here in the state of Utah, you've just heard exactly uh, how to get that job done. Again, my guest, 
uh, Raylan Takeda, Hunter Education Program Coordinator uh, here in the state of Utah. Thanks again. Thank you. All righty. Uh, when I when I saw this story, it all it all stemmed from uh, these two gentlemen, uh, Albert Orton and Norman Beers, who have volunteered their time and expertise for almost sixty years, uh, teaching young folks and others the rules of firearm and archery safety, uh, among all the rest of the great things that are taught in these types of classes. I thought, you know what? I remember I remember my first class, and I remember that first hunting trip with my dad that came immediately afterward. I'd like to hear about your first hunting trip. Would you mind? Uh, we're in the final hours of our, of our time here together, today and tomorrow, and then we say goodbye, uh, and I'd like to just have a conversation with you. And I'm a big fan of hunting, big fan of firearms, and I'd love to uh, shoot the breeze with you about your experiences. So uh, think back for a moment about your first hunting trip, if it's something that you have in your own personal history, and give me a call. Let's talk about it after the break. 801-575-8255 is the number. 801-575-8255, 801-KSL-TALK. Uh, call in. Talk to me about your first hunting trip. Where'd you go? What were you hunting? Uh, what type of firearm did you use? Who were you with? Uh, and then tell me about your success. That's next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. We've been discussing hunter safety, specifically uh, the experience of two two educators within the hunter education program here in the state of Utah. Uh, two men, it turns out, have for nearly 60 years together been instructing on how to stay safe in the out-of-doors when hunting. Uh, they teach about ethics. Uh, they teach about uh, you know basic survival skills. If you get yourself in trouble, Albert Orton of Centerville and Norman Beers have, I'm sorry, uh, Albert Orton is from Perwin and Norman Beers from Centerville. They have volunteered their time and expertise for uh, nearly 60 years to teach youngsters and others uh, the rules of firearm and archery safety, along with some other things. They uh, were certified in May of 1961 and continued uh, teaching until uh, not all that long ago. The reason I bring that up is there is a need on the part of that program, the Hunter Education Program within DWR here in the state, uh, and that need is for more instructors. They currently have 342 instructors teaching uh, this hunter education class, but that's not enough. Yeah, it it turns out uh, there are sufficient youngsters and newcomers to uh, hunting uh, that you need even more. And so the invitation on the part of Ray Lynn Takeda, who is the hunter education program coordinator, is that if you uh, are so inclined Uh, If you have a hunting background, if you know the safety rules, if you can communicate well, and if you can pass a background check, uh, would you make your way over to the DWR website and apply to become an instructor? Uh, Again, you must pass a background check. There's some online training, uh, also some in-person training with DWR, and uh, you will be required uh, to teach at least one hunter education class each year. You can pick the location and dates uh, for the course, but if you're so inclined, if you um, have some skills and some experience that you'd like to share with others to further uh, a sport and a pastime that's brought you so much satisfaction, again, make your way over to the DWR website and share that with others. It got me thinking. This whole conversation got me thinking about my first experience 
taking a hunter safety course. I got together with uh, my dad and the other Boy Scouts in the troop, and we together uh, sat there with uh, an old grizzled man. I wish I could remember his name, uh, but I remember the way he spoke to us, and it was uh, it was stern, it was sincere, it was straightforward, and it put us on a path to to really collect memories that would stay with us forever. Uh, in a moment, I'll share with you uh, my first hunting experience. Uh, it was with a Browning Auto 5 in hand. I will share those details with you next. Uh, my question to you is, uh, w- what was your first hunting trip like? You know, we've only got a few hours left here to uh, spend shooting the breeze. Let's take advantage of them. 801-575-8255 is the number. Call in, share with me the details of your first hunting trip. I want to know where you went. I want to know what you were hunting. And I'd like to know, because I'm a firearms guy, I'd like to know uh, what type of firearm you were uh, using. Joining us on the line to kick off the conversation from far west is Keith. Keith, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, Lee. How are you? I'm all right. Better now that we're chatting. Tell me about your first trip. First off, I really enjoyed your show. It's been awesome. I listen to it every day. You, you bring new light to us. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you. My first one was up at Monte Cristo Dry Bread. I just busted my kneecap so I couldn't walk very far, and I just laid down to take it. And my father-in-law to be says, "Hey, your brother-in-law is going over there and brush. We better wake up." So I kind of looked up, and to make a long story short, I shot a three by four. It, I hit it. It rolled to the road. We did our thing, put it in the truck, and we come home. <laughs> the most memorable hunt I'd had. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what kind of firearms you have out on that day? Thirty-five out six, sir. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, lever action. Lever action. Now, so you still have that today? Oh, still have it today. You still take it out? Great memory. Oh, hell yeah. Outstanding. Well, very yeah. cool. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Keith, if, you, if, you, if you're so inclined, why don't you make your way over to that DWR website and see about becoming a, an instructor yourself. What do you say to that? I'll do it. All right. Very good. Uh, listen, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sharing your experience with us. Um, I, my, story, uh, my story is this. I... I, I was. I had just taken this class. I had just gotten the little slip of paper, which I I found just the other day. You know, you have that little uh, thing with the oversized safety pin. Uh, you used to pin it to the back of your hunting vest, either a camo or blaze orange or whatever it was. That was before everything went digital. You know, you had a, a big number there. Well, in that little pouch, I had tucked all the documentation. You know, you get the stamps from uh, Walmart there at the sporting goods counter or uh, wherever you pick up your stamps. Uh, and your licenses. Well, I had that original document signed uh, by the. You know what? It just occurred to me. I can get his name from that document. Anyway, uh, I had that, and the the first weekend after I received it, tucked it into that same uh, little package, uh, put it on the back of my of my vest. And my dad and I, this was in uh, Western New York. We went to uh, some state land, and we were hunting squirrels. Uh, it, when I was growing up, uh, I'm not sure uh, how common this was, but we would uh, we do the squirrel hunting with uh, with shotguns. Maybe that was just in the Lonsbury household because we weren't uh, as good a shot uh, as the folks who were hunting with 22s. Uh, which I would give I would try that later, and I'd get a few squirrels at the 22 later in life. Uh, but my first hunting trip was uh, with a shotgun, uh, and we were after squirrels. The shotgun was a, a, a Browning designed, a Browning Auto 5. Uh, th- this model, though, the Sweet 16, well, listen, if you know about 
Uh, if you know about Auto 5s, you know the history. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, the Auto 5, uh, the first ever semi-automatic shotgun designed right here in the state of Utah. You pull the trigger once, uh, a shotgun shell uh, is, is fired, and down uh, the barrel goes your shot. You pull the trigger again, there it goes. No need to, to pump or cycle anything manually. Semi-automatic. And... I was out there. That was a gift to me. My dad uh, gave me one, and it was the Sweet 16. So the 16-gauge Auto 5 is what I had. And we were out hunting squirrels, and I saw one. Uh, Again, this was uh, western New York. It was a big, fat gray squirrel, and I I saw it there. It was sitting on the side of a tree. Uh, the, The tree trunk came up. And a branch kind of went off to the right, and he was sitting there, uh, right where the right where the branch and the trunk came together. And I uh, picked up the shotgun. I had the bead of the front sight there, uh, resting right above that squirrel, and I uh, I pulled the trigger, and the squirrel fell from the tree. And I was both excited and heartbroken at the same time, uh, because I was successful in my endeavor, uh, but I was also struck with the reality of it and the responsibility of it. Uh, and that responsibility was to uh, let none of that little squirrel uh, be wasted. And so it was that uh, we hiked over. My dad uh, taught me about field dressing right there. Uh, we took it home. I picked out the shot. Uh, I cooked it up and uh, and ate that squirrel. And I uh, forever remember uh, that experience. And it kicked off uh, due to the hunter safety course. And so I thank my instructor. I thank my dad. And I thank... Uh, you know, all those that work together to keep uh, this pastime alive. Uh, that's that. Let me take a break. When we come back, the top two at two o'clock next on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.